Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what the heck is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast, your home for all things Xbox here at Kind of Funny. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Snowbike Mike, and today I am joined by my two gaming dads, my dude, Mr. Paris Lilly. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, sir. Quick question that I'm going to ask you on the show. Lay it on me. You're going to WrestleMania, right? Paris Lily, I am happy to report I'm going to WrestleMania, my All brother. Right. I, I can't wait. It, it snuck up on us so fast. It's almost here. I can't wait. I'm excited. I am Looking forward so to it. excited. And Paris, I can't wait to kick it with you for two nights of awesome. It's going to be a ton of fun. Of course, Greg will be there, you know, host of This Is Awesome, the WWE. I mean, he's now you know? like a legit WWE personality, superstar. right? Yeah, he's a, yeah. he's in the superstar categories, right? Yeah. I don't, superstar special. might be pushing it, but like he's a, he's a legit he, he's part of the WWE universe. It's yeah. kind of amazing. Isn't that cool? It's right. So we're going to ride his coattails to the backstage. That's the goal, right, Gary? We got to do it. I mean, it's a long train. Greg's been riding mine and now you ride his and <laughs> on and on it goes. Like a human centipede of glory chasing. I love that. Paris, what's going on over there? How you been? What you been playing? What you been up to all the way down south? I mean, I'm doing good, doing good. Obviously, you know, Southern California, it's it's still raining. No one knows how to act when it rains down here. I'm sure it's the same way up there in San Francisco. So dealing with that, um, as far as playing, but playing Destiny 2. Nice. Loving some Destiny 2. I, I pulled my son back in. And Ooh. I haven't played a lot of it, but we, we tried out Season 3 of, of Halo Infinite. So far, so good. I know that nice. new big team battle thing yes. is dropping today, uh-huh. so so looking to check that out, too. Love that. Love that. How's your Destiny 2 grind going? I jumped into it, tried to get raid ready with the squad. They're already near the 1800. I'm at like 1695 to 1705 window now. It, this kind of hurts my heart to say. I, I talked about this on Gamertag Radio uh, over the weekend. It's a step back from oh. the Witch Queen. Okay. You know, I, I, I rolled through the campaign, did that. But I didn't feel the the drive to go. And Strand's cool. Like a lot of the systems and you know quality life things they put into it work, but the, but the story is not grabbing me. And I get it. They're kind of stretching this out. They're going to tell it over the year. I, I understand all that. But I don't have that same feel that I I had a year ago with the Witch Queen. And I've just resigned myself to the fact that I'm not going anywhere from Destiny. I'm always going to play it. But we're in year nine. I mean, it's been nine years of this game. It's been nine years of them trying to tell the story and just the ups and the downs that they've had over the years. So maybe there is a little bit of mental fatigue with me there. I'm still a fan of it. I still want to see this to the end. I'll be there when they turn the lights off, you know, on, on the last server for Destiny. But 
yeah, it's just, I don't feel motivated like I have in past years to want to just hit the grind. I mean, I'll do the raid and everything eventually, but I feel like there's other things I want to do at the same time. Whereas I feel like Destiny, when you really get into it, you're putting every other game, you're, you're, you're putting those to the side because you got to focus on that to really be at the top tier. And I'm just not feeling it this time, which which is kind of surprising to me, but still good. I mean, it's it's still one of the top tier shooters out there. But story just did not grab me this time. All right. All right. Let's check in with my other gaming dad here in the studio. Gary Witta, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm glad to be here. Sometimes this is just a little, you know, kind of, you know, always a lot of stress and a lot of stuff going on in my day job. Sometimes it's good to come here and sit with my friends and uh, chat about video games. It's a nice little circuit breaker for me sometimes. Yeah. I appreciate you being here, Gary. And I love that you have... The ultimate dad T-shirt on right now. I know this is like a ten dollars from Target T-shirt. <laughs> the Basically, the like, ultimate dad T-shirt today into the studio. If and it is very, it watching, is very much my yeah. philosophy. What, what does it say? To do um, list what? It says uh, make plans, cancel plans, stay in and watch TV. <laughs> I love that, so, Gary. That's, that's right. how I like to live my life. That's a good life to live, right there, Gary. What about you? Have you been playing any games in the rainstorm? The atmospheric river that we've had here in San Francisco. Have you just been yeah, busy on been, the grind? Yeah. So, you know, rain outside, sick toddler inside. Oh. Not a lot of room for video games in between, but I have um, been playing. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it on the on the podcast before, but the most recent thing I've been playing and really enjoying, and I know it's a lot of other people are enjoying it too, is Hi-Fi Rush. Yes. What a, yes, what a yeah. fun game. One of those, I, again, one of those little Game Pass delights came out of nowhere. It's like, what's mm-hmm. this? Free on Game Pass. Let's give it a try. Next thing you know, it's your it's your it's your new obsession. Nice little treat, huh? Yeah, yeah right. Good. I love it. Yeah. All right. I like that. Well, another positive. We'll just slip in right now. Of course, Ghostwire Tokyo now coming to console. We know about that. It's coming to the Xbox side of things. Was a PlayStation exclusive for the whole year. Now it is finally announced that Ghostwire Tokyo is coming to Xbox, the ecosystem, on April twelfth with a brand new Spider's Thread uh, update. So if you're looking forward to some more. Tango Gameworks uh, exclusive games. You can check out Ghostwire Tokyo on the way just here in the spring. Of course, we reviewed that over on the PlayStation I Love You XOXO team. So if you want to go check out that review or know the team's thoughts on the original PlayStation launch and heading into Xbox, you can go check that out with some more kind of funny games content. But I played it. I had a good time. I really got lost in the cool Tokyo lore, the urban legends that kind of kept me going through that with the side missions. Combat got a little repetitive and dull throughout. The story went a little bit too long, but I really loved Tokyo, what they made with it, this little open world. And I really liked chasing down new different monsters and beasts with this fun lore. So it was really cool. For I saw it was a, 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 it's something I've been tracking for a while, and it's a cool-looking game, and it's an interesting fusion of these different genres, right? Yeah. But I decided long ago that I was going to have nothing to do with it because you know how I'm like with with horror. Yes. As soon as I saw, oh, it's like Japanese ghosts. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, oh, like like the bosses are kind of like, you know, the girl from the ring that crawls out of your TV set. Nah, I ain't, <laughs> I ain't having it, Mike. <laughs> None nope. of that, Gary. Nope. I like that. Well, Gary, I know you've also been very busy this past couple of weeks, I but have. I did want to give you a fun update. And Paris, this is for you and the family. Ted Lasso is back. Season three, you episode know, one dropped right. last night, y'all. I fell off a little bit of that. Okay. So season one, I thought was was fun. Yes. It's interesting, you know, as a Brit living living in America, I have a slightly, <laughs> I have an interest because it's a transatlantic show, and you know, I have a, I have a particular perspective on it. Um, so I didn't like the second season as much as I liked the first one. Okay. Uh, and so I'm kind of going into this third one with I don't know. We'll see. I'm neutral. I'm not like super duper psyched for it. I think it's 
tremendous that that show came on the air. I think it's a lot of fun. It's interesting to watch an American show about British culture and British football. And obviously that culture clash is a big part of the comedy and a lot of the comedy comes from that. Um, I just, something about the second, something about that second season just didn't vibe with me. And I know a lot of other people felt the same. They kind of felt like the second season didn't have the same vibe yeah, as yeah. the first. So I don't know. Paris has got his hand up. We lost his audio. Yeah. Paris, I think you muted yourself. You muted on your end? Oh, I mean, yeah. There, I mean, there you I go. Myself. There right. we go. So confession, I watched the first episode of season one. Okay. And I've not gone back. Wow. Oh, <laughs> oh wow, Paris. Oh, yeah. wow. It's not everybody's cup of tea. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I hear all the great things about it. I just, I just need to fit it in, in the schedule and start watching. Tough, it, so. tough. Yeah, big yeah, schedule yeah. to fill in there's there. Too much, there's too much. It's a good problem to have. There's two, too much TV out there. Season two was definitely not as strong as the first season, Gary. Yeah. But I think what they're building to in season three is very exciting. Yeah. And it's just like leaning into how it's a live action anime, sports anime, you know? And the idea, this, I, I think that this is the last one, right? So presumably there's, there's going to so. be like a climactic nature to it because yeah, if they know yes. they're ending with the three seasons they, they're going to want to you know stick the landing which, so we'll see which good get in get out tell your story don't you, not every show has to linger for you know eight nine seasons yeah, yeah. And i was just on my um xbox app here on the pc i believe for xbox game pass ultimate members you're going to get three months of apple tv the subscription so if you want to watch ted lasso you binge a lot of shows in three Mythic months quest which is all about video games which is severance which was my favorite show of last hey, last year if you want yes, to check out apple tv that was fantastic take advantage of lot. this uh perk i gotta hand it to apple they, they came in you know from outside of the, the the business my business said well we're gonna make content now we're gonna make tv shows and movies mm -hmm. and i was like ah, we'll see how it goes they've, i think they've done really well there you go they won an oscar right, right? last year they won an oscar for best picture and now, you know, I think Severance was the best show on TV last year. Mm -hmm. They've got a bunch of other great shows. I think yeah. they've, they've done really well for themselves. Do they have a BAFTA like you? They must have a BAFTA <laughs> by now. You got two. Do you know I've never actually seen my, I've seen it one time. <laughs> Gary, what is supposed to be I got, I got to hold it mean? one time. Somewhere out there, there's a BAFTA literally with my name on it. I've got no fucking idea where it is. <laughs> I spoke to BAFTA about it. I called him out and said, look, do, do you guys do duplicates or something? Because I never got it. Like, I would like to have it. I want it. Yeah, yeah. Just don't have can, it. Though. Can I have a car? And they said, oh, we don't do duplicates. We can help you track down the original, like whoever's got it. Oh, okay. That's, that's nice. It's in the wind. Okay. Because what happened was after the ceremony, I, I don't know why we're talking about this, but the ceremony was in London, right? Because <laughs> it's BAFTA. I couldn't go. Okay. Right? So someone else picked it up. It went to the Telltale offices where it sat on it. I went to the Telltale offices one time and I, I, got, I was like, oh, wow, here's my BAFTA. Yeah. And like, I didn't, because like, it's me and two other people have their names on it, right? It's me, Mark Darren, and Sean Vanneman are the three listed writers that won the BAFTA, right? For best narrative 2013. And it's sitting there on the shelf. Telltale had like a big shelf of all that. You know, sometimes when you go to a game company, they have all their rewards up front. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they had. And then Telltale fell apart. In the on, on all the awards just went yeah. scattered to the four winds. I don't know where it is. Okay. Okay. Well, we will keep that story. If you, want to, if you ever want to see a picture of me holding it, <laughs> I'll, I can show you that, but that's the best I can do. If anyone out there knows where my fucking BAFTA is, 
call them up. Let them know. Let us know at the X-Cats. We'd appreciate that. That's right. I'd, I'd love to know. <laughs> Let's jump into the fun. Of course, we know where we're at. We're here with another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cats because we post each and every Thursday at 6 a.m. West Coast, Best Coast time on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games, RoosterTeeth.com, and of course on podcast services around the globe. Don't forget that Kind of Funny is now Epic Games Partners, which means if you are upgrading your look in Fall Guys, Rocket League, or Find the new season pass in that new update with Fortnite. Please use our Epic Creator code kind of funny at checkout to help support the team in a brand new way. And talking about support, we always like to shout out those who support us over on patreon.com slash kind of funny and patreon.com slash kind of funny games, just like our Patreon producers for the month of March, Tripod Double Plus and Delaney Twining. Thank you so much for your support over on Patreon. This week, the X-Cast is brought to you by Honey, but we'll tell you about that in just a little bit. Guys, we've got some fun news to get into and something that is really special on the way for fans of MLB The Show. And this is something that I got to be brought down to, of course, PlayStation headquarters here in San Francisco and sit down with the team from Sony San Diego to talk all things MLB The Show and their brand new mode that is a must know about and a must check out especially for xbox gamers because it's coming to you on game pass in just a couple of weeks this mode gary Witta, storylines a new game experience celebrating the negro leagues and its powerful history in the sport of baseball mlb the show has partnered with the negro leagues baseball museum to create something within their game that will quote educate enlighten and inspire through gameplay and mini document or mini docu series that will tell the story of eight players that had an impact on the game and the history of baseball. Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum, will narrate the stories that are told through historical video, photos, and beautiful watercolored art styles. So that is my quick rundown of it. Really, this is something that you should know about. This is something that you should put up on the big board to go out, check out, and play because we've talked about it with. GT7, of course, hands-on history with Age of Empires 4. This kind of cool way to tell stories, tell history, educate those through video games. And MLB The Show is taking on a big task here to show off and educate and inspire others about the Negro Leagues a long time ago that many young folk like myself might not know about, right? And so I got to sit down with Ramon Russell from San Diego, or Sony San Diego, and he pitched it to me, and I said, man, this is a big task to be respectful, to show the game and shed light on this awesome story that you want to tell and really showcase what the Negro Leagues were way back when. And it was really something special because they clearly put the tender love and care, the respect that was needed, and they teamed up with Bob Kendrick and the Negro Leagues Museum to really do something special. And so what this is on a gameplay side is it's its own mode. You will find it right there, dead on the dashboard, where you can jump in and actually check it out. It will highlight eight players. Hilton Smith, Jackie Robinson, Buck O'Neill, Hank Thompson, and uh, Satchel Page, who was a big name of mine that my dad always Even I know about. the name Satchel Page, Satchel and I'm not, like, I'm not a baseball guy. Big time. So eight players, and each one will have their own moments, challenges, that will span across about eight to ten different moments in their life and their <clears> story, <throat> right? And so there's eight players each with their own unique challenges and stories that Bob Kendrick will actually narrate and tell these stories through throughout this. So think of a mini docu docu series on Netflix 
Uh, Ramon was telling me it's about six hours of true content here, and they're broken into gameplay sections that you've seen in other sports games, like challenge moments, uh, of course, the Jordan experience over in NBA 2K, where you'll be tasked with, of course, Satchel Page, and you will play out, hey, strike out three guys in these next two innings, and then you'll progress the story. And so as you progress the story, you'll continue to learn more about these players and their history on the game of baseball, which is really, really cool. And the wild part about this, as they were telling me, is, you know, a lot of these players don't have photographs. A lot of these players don't have video about them. This was in a time where, you know, segregation was very much at its height, and a lot of these players didn't get the shine and the love that they, that they were due. And so they've teamed up with the museum and Bob Kendrick, and they've also teamed up with the family members of certain players to be able to put them into the game correctly, to be able to shine light on their stories. And it was really special of not only seeing some historical videos and footage, but what they did with the arts, right? Being able to tell that story through this beautiful watercolored illustrations that will pop up on your screen. It was very reminiscent of like loading screens from NFL Street and NBA uh, Street way back in the day where you're like, wow, that's eye-catching. That's what a lot of this artwork will be. And so as you progress through each one of their challenges and their stories, you'll learn more about the players the commentary that they actually provide in the booth all will be structured around that player and continuing to tell the story while you're playing, which I thought was really, really well done and smart and thoughtful. And now there's also four teams that will be highlighted out of the eight that were there in the league back in the day, and they will have their own unique stadiums. They all have their own unique jerseys. They even have, like, historically accurate stadiums of back in the day, the Negro Leagues used to play on Sundays, so people would show up in their church clothes, and it was also mixed. There was white and blacks there. And see, I didn't know. I already learned something. I didn't know that. It was really, really impressive to see the detail and the love that they put in. And so he paused the game, and he circled around the stadium. You could see everyone, and they're dressed up to the nines, like as if they just got out of church, which was really cool. And he said, a cool one for you, Mike, that you might not know. Actually, the Negro Leagues is where they started baseball stadium lights. And so he told the story about J.L. Wilkinson, who owned the KC Monarchs, which was actually one of the teams, and he created stadium lighting that were on portable trucks that he would take to different stadiums. Oh, cool. And he panned around the stadium, and you could see the little trucks and then the lights coming <laughs> off the top, and it was really, really well done. And so I was truly blown away by what I saw because, you know, this is a topic that is tough to talk about, right? I know a lot of the younger generations don't even know about the Negro Leagues baseball and don't have that education. Yeah, right? and, there's and, so, a, and there's a fucking reason for yeah. that as well. <laughs> and the big one was they never knew the perfect time, the perfect way to do this, but they said, we got to do it. Yeah. And so they took the idea and they ran with it and created something really special. And I think teaming up with uh, Bob Kendrick over from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, he is very fun to listen to. He's going to make all of these small docu-series a blast to hang out with and watch. They're only broken up into a minute to three minute long clips, and then you'll jump into the gameplay experience, play one or two, get another clip, one or two, and so on. And on top of that, they have their own unique presentation. So you'll have all the players before the game. They'll have some cool warm-ups. And then for Satchel Page, all of his pitches had special names for him, Gary. And so we'd played the first one, and he said, hey, do you notice it's like fastball, slider, all the normal ones. The second game, after we learned about Satchel Page's pitches, all the pitches changed to his fun names that he had. Oh, that's so cool. So that was really special and cool. And it even has its own soundtrack that will really elevate the experience, right? You're going to have some jazz. You're going to have some R&B. time. Yeah, you're going to have some rap in there, too. It's, like, really, really powerful when you hear the music 
because way back then, they didn't know what the chants were, what the music was, right, before all this time. So they had to kind of improvise on what they could use in show. So wanted to take this time to talk about what you're going to see with storylines and season one, right? They really wanted to stress this is just the beginning. This is something they want to bring back every single year for MLB The Show moving forward. So there will be a season two with more players and onward after that. So it was something really important to me as a sports fan, someone that does love what we're seeing with this education and video games meeting together. And the standout phrase to me that I really, really loved was educate, enlighten, and inspire. And I left that meeting feeling just that. And I told them a great job. So I hope I did my best to explain it all to you. But, you know, Paris, Gary, if you guys have any questions for me, let me know. Let's talk about it for a little bit. And what do you think of what you're going to see here? Yeah, I, I do. And first and foremost, I'm, I'm, elated that you had the opportunity to do this and i'm I'm not even going to pretend to be this vast expert of the negro leagues but i do know who buck o'neill is i do know who satchel page is i do know jack who jackie robinson is and i understand the importance of why jackie robinson was the one that was picked to you know cross the segregation lines and go into mlb because one thing about and and let's just have some some serious talk here for a second but Jackie Robinson was not the best player in the Negro Leagues. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. He was one of the best, but he was not the best. But he was picked because he had the mental fortitude to handle the racism and the hatred and everything that was going to come his way by being the first African-American player to to cross over into MLB. And the reason I, I say I'm glad that you, Mike, were able to do this, not only are you a sports fan, but it's just the fact that you already alluded to this already. So many people, especially the newer generation, don't they don't know the Negro Leagues. They don't understand the segregation that was happening back then, you know, in in the 40s and in the 50s with African-American players and white players and just how talented someone like a Satchel Page, as an example, as a pitcher. Satchel Page is one of the greatest pitchers ever, ever, period, period, point blank. I mean, it's legendary at this point that by by the end, people think he might have been in his 50s out there still playing and slinging it and throwing damn near hundred miles per hour. But we don't get to hear those stories. We don't get that education. We don't get that history lesson about the importance of, of the Negro leagues and what that meant to baseball and a lot of the things that it did that still last to this day. So I'm, I'm glad you got a chance to sit down with Ramon. I'm glad you got a chance to experience this because I think this is a great, and this is the power of gaming where, you can take a video game and you can use it to teach. You can use it to educate and give a history lesson, but at the same time, you're having fun. And I think forget color, race, all that stuff. I think there's just so many people out there that don't even know about this. And this, and I, I'm, I'm glad that, that Sony San Diego did this and has the opportunity to do this because I think there's just a vast amount of knowledge that's just sitting there on the table about about the negro leagues and just baseball in general that this is going to be able to do so very happy that you got to do it and just listening to you talk i can tell that you learned something and yeah. you're you're excited about what you got to learn and i think other people that are watching and listening to this i hope they give you know the new mlb or show a chance and try out this mode i know i will because again i'm not going to pretend i'm the super expert i would love to go to the negro baseball hall of fame i would love to educate myself even further so if this can help with that facilitate that I'm all for it yeah and it's going to do just that for so many it's going to be really exciting to see people take to this and like i said these stories are engaging and fun right like 
Bob, the president of the Negro League ba- Baseball Museum, is a ton of fun to listen to. He has stories for days about all these players. Like you brought up, Satchel Page. They tell the story. They don't even know how old Satchel Page was yeah. on his grave, on his tombstone. They have question marks for when he was born because nobody knew how old he actually was. And so you get this beautiful telling of what it was like at the times, what the Negro League baseball actually meant to so many, and then these players and all their fun and interesting stories. So it's really, really exciting to see this come to light. I think it's fascinating, and it's really interesting, and I'm glad they're doing it. As a story guy, so I'm always interested to see how they execute story in sports games, right? We've seen, like, FIFA's done it, um, MLB's done it in the past, NBA's done it, Jake from State Farm, don't forget. Um, And so I I think that's interesting. In this case in particular, I think it's really, really cool because, you know, without wishing to sound um, too preachy, it's not just an interesting part of sports history, but an interesting part of American history, right? The history yes. of segregation, right? The, it's bizarre to think about now, but to think about, we lived in, a, you know, Americans once lived in an age where the schools were segregated. You had to go to a different school. You had to stand in a different lunch line. You use a different water faucet, ride on a different bus and play in a different baseball league. All of that now, you know, to most of us, unfortunately not all of us, but to most of us, that seems so backward and wrong and we fixed a lot of it. There's still a lot of work to do. But I do think that this is a fascinating way to teach history through the medium of video games. I haven't pl- tried it yet, but just a little bit that flashed up on the screen now, I think, is really, really interesting. Everyone knows who Jackie Robinson was, right? Because what he did was so fantastic, it could, there was no way to not celebrate it, right? I've heard of Satchel Page, but I don't know too much about him. Many of the other names I've never heard of, right? And like I said before, there's a specific reason for that. Because unfortunately, we still live in an age now where a lot of this kind of history, black history, is being suppressed and they don't want it taught mm-hmm. because of the, because of the, the I'm not going to start naming names. You know who I'm fucking talking about. <laughs> and that's kind of what I love about this is that this is the other thing. This, this, this is going to piss off all the wrong people. This is going to, or all the right people. This is going to yeah. flush all the fucking maggoters to the surface. Oh, why do I have to learn about black history? I just want to play a video game. Go fuck yourself. I'm done. <laughs> that's great, Gary. I like that. I appreciate that. And, Definitely Can I add yes. one other thing in? One yeah, other thing. Because um, there was a movie, because again, when I talk about being educated about it, I, I didn't really know about the Negro Leagues until later in life. And it was in the 90s, I believe this movie came out called Soul of the Game. Um, it was on HBO, I want to say. And I think Blair Underwood was Jackie Robinson. And I know Delroy Lindo was uh, Satchel Paige. And that movie was really good. So a lot of the great Negro League players are, are highlighted in that in that movie. So if anyone's interested, like I said, I'm pretty sure it's called Soul of the Game. It was on HBO. And so I'm sure it's out there on HBO Max or somewhere. You can find it straight. But what's particularly great about this, I think, Paris, is that like this, this is one of the things that like popular entertainment and popular culture can do. Movies can do it, and video games can certainly do it. And I think there are plenty of people out there that don't even know what the Negro Leagues were, or, underst- or, right. or understood the history of it. But like through a video, like I think that this implementation, this story mode that educates you about this part of our history, is something that will now be put in front of people who would never otherwise pick up a book or go watch that movie. And Mm -hmm. I I think that, I just think that's terrific and it should be celebrated. Definitely. I I wanted to make sure we talked about it on this podcast and hear it kind of funny because it is something that should be celebrated. I love the evolution of what we're seeing in sports games because we've seen it from the normal play nows to people trying to figure out the stories 
Then they said, well, what if we take these awesome moments in sports history and we make them playable, right? We saw that with MJ before. Each sports game now has their own little more moments thing. But I think what MLB The Show is doing right now with this, telling these stories and having them so stylized with this mini documentary and having Bob Kendrick tell the stories himself, like I think this is where we will see the next challenge modes going in sports games in the future. They'll tell more stories about the players and their history. And I look forward to that as a big basketball guy. This is what I want to see, right? I want to see the next elevation of what NBA 2K can do. Football, I would love to continue that, right? So this gets me excited. And I really can't wait till the end of the month when MLB The Show comes out. Everybody gets to jump in on Game Pass. I really want you to give this a try. Jump into at least one of the players. Experience what this team has created. There's eight of them. About six hours in total of content, so it should be a ton of fun for everybody to jump in and have a good time. No, it's really cool. And again, the sad thing about it is, like, Sony's going to get some shit for this, right? So some people are going to not be happy about this. But like of I course. said, they can, all, they can all go fuck themselves. And some people in the, in the days and weeks ahead on social media and on the message boards, whatever, are going to be showing the whole asses complaining about this. Yeah. And, uh, let me, and I'll tell you, so that, t- that tells you more about them than it does about the game. Really quick, uh, I just want to say it is cool to see the the evolution of this in MLB The Show. I think the first time we saw a mode like this was MLB The Show 19, where it did more like general history. Like you played uh, Babe Ruth's like first right. major league home run and stuff like that. And that was like the first time where it was like exci- I was excited for an MLB game that wasn't just like the the same kind of like iter- iterative stuff that you see every year. So it's cool that they're leaning more into it and having like more of a focus to tell uh, stories that not everybody knows. And so I'm, I'm glad to see them kind of hone in on this aspect that we don't really get to see too often in, in sports games. Uh, and, and the one thing that I find interesting just from a, a game uh, standpoint, Mike, is that uh, you're saying this is going to be season one and they're going to work on future seasons and future games which is so weird to me because in my head, when they talk about season one, I almost think of like, they want to use MLB as like more of a platform and it's like to update it and stuff like that. Mm. So I think it's interesting that they have these kind of, they have this idea that feels almost like antithetical to doing uh, like year yearly releases and having more of like a, you know, like a, a Netflix model of like, hey, let's add this to one MLB, the show game that we build for years and years and years. So that just, I just found that little tidbit interesting yeah. that I just wanted to call out. Definitely. Yep. Well, very exciting stuff right around the corner for all of you Xbox players and everyone on every console because this mode is going to be on Switch. It will be on Xbox. It will be on PlayStation. It will be everywhere that the game drops. So nobody's going to miss out on the opportunity to play it. But we have another place where you can have some more games to play, but we'll talk about that in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Shout out to Honey for sponsoring this episode. Honey is the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. And thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. And we all know there's nothing better than the feeling of saving money. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. When you check out, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a few seconds, you see the fun little dancing guy. Honey searches for coupons and it finds you 
the best ones. And then you just watch the prices drop. We here at Kind of Funny have been using Honey for years and it's helped us save thousands on tech, costumes, food, you name it. Honestly, I just love how easy it is to just set and forget and save. That's the best part. Honey doesn't just work on desktops. It works on your phone too. You just activate it on Safari on your phone. You save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. You can get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash kind of funny. That's joinhoney.com slash kind of funny. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We have some more Xbox and Microsoft partnerships to talk about because there's a whole lot of partnerships this past couple of weeks being announced from, of course, NVIDIA GeForce Experience and NVIDIA Now. Of course, over on the other side, you have Nintendo Switch all partnering with Microsoft for Call of Duty for 10 full years. We have two partnerships that happened this week. So to read right off of the Microsoft Corp's blog, you have Microsoft Corporation and uh, Boostroid on Tuesday announced a 10-year agreement to bring Xbox PC games to Boostroid's cloud gaming platform, Boostroid, which hits, uh, which has its software development team in Ukraine, recently surpassed 4 million users globally and has become the largest independent cloud gaming provider in the world. The agreement will also enable Activision Blizzard PC titles to be streamed by Boostroid customers after Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard closes. When combined with other partnerships recently announced by Microsoft, this means popular franchises such as Call of Duty will surpass more than 150 million additional players and make games built by Xbox Game Studios, Bethesda, and Activision Blizzard playable on multiple cloud gaming services and subscriptions. Quote, we believe in the power of games to bring people together. That's why Xbox is committed to give everyone more ways to play their favorite games across devices, said Phil Spencer, CEO of gaming at Microsoft. Bringing Xbox PC games to Boostroid members, including Activision Blizzard titles such as Call of Duty, once the deal closes, is yet another step in realizing that vision. Of course, as well today, Phil announced over on Twitter that Microsoft and Ubitus 
is a leading cloud gaming provider have signed a 10-year partnership to, st- uh, to stream Xbox PC games as well as Activision Blizzard titles across or after the acquisition closes. Our commitment is to give more players more choice. So, Paris, break this down for me because cloud is at the forefront. We've been talking about it on the podcast for quite some time since xCloud really went live and we've been playing it. But now it's coming really big in this Activision Blizzard case that they're trying to finish this acquisition, but cloud has been kind of pushed out here with a lot of 10-year agreements. What's going on with this? Why should this matter to us? I think it matters to us because if you go by what Microsoft or Xbox has been telling us over the past few years, it's about we want more people playing games, right? We want to bring these games to more platforms. So look, we understand the logistics and the reality of what's going on, that this is a part of, you know, to appease the regulators so that they can close this Activision Blizzard deal. But at the same time, the net benefit to us is it's more options. I mean, now these deals that they've signed in the last couple of days, they obviously don't affect us here directly in the United States because these aren't cloud platforms that we would use. But GeForce Now is is a cloud platform that I use. And the fact that they've done that is great to hear. The fact that they're saying, look, however, Wizardry, whatever they're, however they're gonna figure it out with the Switch, they're bringing games to the Switch, which is good. And they've obviously had already been doing that on a smaller scale. Um, I, I do think, well, and Steam is another one. They're they're obviously committing to making sure that they're bringing all their games to Steam, which again, they were already kind of doing, you know, in the first place. But I do think there's one platform that they're missing that they have not done yet, which I, I would imagine huh. we'll hear about that sooner rather than later. And it's Amazon Luna. Mm, That's okay. probably the fact that Stadia is gone. That is probably the biggest cloud platform left that they don't have an agreement with. So they're truly saying, hey, we want to make sure that all our games are wherever you want to go play them. Then that's probably the the final nail in the coffin that they they need to, you know, the box that they need to check to make sure that they're they're truly bringing all of their games to to every cloud platform. And then, you know, obviously just from uh, just normal, normal gaming, local gaming, however you want to call it. They've already committed that, hey, it's on the Xbox consoles and, you know, they're bringing it, excuse me, you know, to, to PC consoles as well. Because I believe, am I wrong in saying that Xbox games already show up on the Epic Store? I think they do. I feel like they do. I could be wrong on that, but I feel like they do. If not, that would be another one that they obviously need to take care of as as well. But I think, again, I try, look, I know this is an Xbox show. We talk about Xbox stuff, but I always try to look at things as me, the consumer, me, a gamer. I really care less where I play a game, right? I just want access to a game. And Xbox has shown that they're willing to bring their games to multiple platforms. And that's just a good thing. That's a good thing for us because again, what's wrong with having choice? There's absolutely nothing wrong with having choice. As much as I don't like talking about this Activision deal, and I'll be glad when it closes one way or another, I think we're gonna be the ones that benefit out of this ultimately. So the fact that we're hearing about these cloud deals is, is a good thing. Yeah, a good thing over there. Of course, at the end of the month, Xbox also announced a preview of PC Game Pass will come to 40 new countries for the first time ever. So continuing to push out the ecosystem to those that might not have access to it yet, teaming up with different cloud providers to make sure others have access to all these games. Gary, how you feeling about this? Of course, you know, we could get into the, they're kind of making it look like, hey, Sony's the one not saying yes to this deal that we're throwing around to everyone right now. 
Um, I need to read up a little bit more on the specifics of, of these, the, in particular these two deals that we're talking about right now, in terms of what does it actually mean for us? Like Microsoft already has one of the biggest network cloud streaming architectures in the world, right? There's a handful of companies that have network architecture that big, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and maybe a couple of others like on the business side. But in terms of like consumer facing companies, those are like the, probably Apple, those are the big ones. Um, and so they can do cloud streaming at scale in a way that other companies cannot do. Um, how these alliances with these other companies will help them like augment and extend that, I'm not entirely clear. Maybe it does make it accessible to people in territories or places, that, you know, whatever. They, they, you, you couldn't play an Xbox game. You, you couldn't stream it for now you can. I'm not clear on the details, but again, to Paris's point, the general idea of more access to more games in more places, more games for everybody, wherever you are, in general, yes, that's very good. To the, act, to, the, to the point that Paris just made about the deal, um, there are definitely skeptics out there. I'm not saying I'm one of them, Mike. You know me. Skepti <laughs> skeptical? Never. But there are those out there who are observing, rightly or wrongly, that this kind of almost seems all a bit performative mm, and yeah, a bit okay. like, hey, federal regulators, look at all the wonderful inclusive stuff. Like, maybe this would be happening anyway because, you know, Phil's been kumbaya, rah, 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 mm -hmm. you know, about this stuff for ages. Like prior to the deal, he's always been about that. Like we just want to get more games in more places. He's been banging that drum for a long time. So maybe all of this stuff would be happening anyway. But I have this sense that it's getting a little bit that those efforts and the optics of their, like not just doing these things, but being seen to do them and 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 to be doing them now is i don't think it's a coincidence that's that's happening while they're still under all this scrutiny from federal regulators both here and in the eu and other places around the world that have to approve this thing and if there are monopolistic concerns microsoft saying look at all the things that we're doing that are not monopolistic i you know you, you don't have to be a genius to put two and two together here that some of this <laughs> is about making sure that this deal goes through because there's a huge amount at stake yeah Paris, do you agree with that, the kind of performative nature of this? Of course, I know that the CMA, the one of the circled things that they talked about was, you know, Microsoft acquiring all of this might push out smaller cloud providers, right? So I'm sure it's helping that case right there. But is this performative in your mind? Would we see all this on is. the grand stage? Of course it is. Of course, of course, there's some some performance art happening right now with this. You, you want to put yourself in the best light possible. So you do this, you sign these long term deals. With, with these smaller cloud providers to say, look, we're not trying to put people out of business. If anything, we want to partner up with them. Totally makes sense. But to Gary's point, I, I, I will also say that, you know, Phil Spencer has been on record for multiple years about they want to bring gaming to more people. Like, and I'm doing bad math right here. Let's just say that there's a current pool of about 200 to 250 million, you know, console players, right? You want to expand that into the PC players, which they've, they've already done. Then you have the cloud aspect, which is going to bring in even more and also mobile, which again, I think all of this is truly about mobile because that's where the most people that play games are right now are on mobile. You know, Microsoft has said in the past, they want to reach billions of gamers, not just hundreds of millions. How do you do that? You put your games on as many platforms as you possibly can. You put it on as many devices as you possibly can. So you make it as easy as possible for people that want to engage with your games that they can do it. And this is how you do it between between putting them on a console, putting them on PC, putting them on mobile, cloud streaming. That's it. So that's what they're doing. So I, I do think in the short term, of course, they want this deal to close because they want 
the Activision assets because it's going to help them with their long-term goal reaching more people but in the short term of course let's look as good as we possibly can so this can <laughs> so this deal can go through the cloud streaming thing aside just putting call of duty on nintendo switch is really interesting yes. right because yep. look activision is a company that is all about making money and if they thought they could make money putting call of duty on the nintendo switch they would have done it but they have not done it for whatever reason perhaps because as we all know the nintendo switch does not have the horsepower mm. to run a Call of Duty game, right? It's an, a, a, the developers are going to have to do that now. Probably think, oh my God, are we, what are we going to do? Like they're going to have to figure it out some way. But those games are not geared to run on; those games are geared to run on next gen hardware, not Switch hardware, which is decidedly last gen. Maybe when the Switch Two or the Two. Switch Pro, yeah. when that comes out, will be less of an issue. But for right now, in the immediate future, putting like the next Call of Duty game on a Nintendo Switch, I'll, I'll just ask the question: Is that something that you think? Microsoft would be doing if they had already cleared all the regulatory scrutiny and didn't have to impress anyone or do any kind of look what we're doing. Do you think they would have done that just as a business decision? Activision didn't didn't think it was worth it. So why does Microsoft suddenly think it's worth it other than being able to say, look, look what we're doing. We're putting it on Nintendo. Like they didn't need, like Activision didn't even do that. Like it's actually more inclusive and more, less monopolistic this way. So I don't know. But again, to Paris's point, it's hard to be completely cynical because it's not like this is an about face from Phil. Phil has been on this for a lot for a long time. And this is just that feels like an acceleration or an evolution um of of what they've already been doing. But boy do they want to be seen to be doing it right now. <laughs> they're, they're they're getting seen is right. I think even over across the pond over in Europe they had a newspaper uh clip outs of themselves and their ads trying to say, hey, this is what we're doing over there. So they're doing their best. There's a, I mean, when you think about the billions of dollars that are at stake here, they're, yeah, they're not. They're going to do everything they can legally in terms of public relations, optics, to try and create the most favorable environment for those regulators. Some of whom are very skeptical. The regulators in the UK and the EU, in particular, have been really skeptical about this deal. They've got to win them over, I and mean, this is this is part of a multi-pronged effort to do so. Now, Paris, he brought up. The Nintendo Switch, and he brought up the Switch 2. When I saw you on social media this past week talking about a mid-generation console update, and of course, you know, I always see some fun stuff. Of course, I want to talk about that with you of, is it time for a mid-gen update over on the Xbox side of things? And also, with the acquisition, let's say, of Blizzard and, you know, Activision and King, now you bring on Call of Duty trying to make that for nine different platforms of different console SKUs, is that going to be a problem? Or will they just leverage cloud and say, hey, your console can get it on the internet, it will be able to play it instead of us making it tailor-made for the Switch 2? So that's the interesting question. Let, let's focus on the Switch for a second and going back to Gary's point. I think this current iteration of the Switch, if you're trying to have parity with what Call of Duty would look like on the Xbox, PlayStation, and PC, you're going to have to do cloud streaming. I, there's just no way. I just don't think that hardware is powerful enough to be able to give you a, a on-par experience as to what you would have on those other systems. So that probably would be cloud streaming. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, it will be interesting to see whatever the Switch 2 is going to be, how powerful it's going to be. We know traditionally Nintendo has never tried, well, they I guess they did with the GameCube, but traditionally they've never tried to compete on a power-wise with, with PlayStation or Xbox, right? So... I don't expect this to be something that's going to rival the PlayStation 5 or the Series X. Maybe it'll rival the, you know, the PS4 and the Xbox One X or something like that, but we'll see. Um, to the other point that, that you're making, wait, 
Wait, what was the other point did you make? The midget updates. What's up? Midget updates. Because I saw I saw you taking shots left and right. Yeah. Oh yeah, I take shots all the time because I'm not afraid to give my opinion. So yeah, yeah. With the midget, I'm not a fan. I get why it happened last time because last time. PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One were underpowered machines for what they should have been at that time. They should have been 1080p, 60 frames per second machines, and they were not. So a PS4 Pro and Xbox One X kind of solved that problem, and it made sense. <coughs> Excuse me. This time, do we really? like? First and foremost, we just went through a pandemic. We've had shortages. We've had all kind of delays with these games. So we've not even truly taken advantage of this hardware you know i caught a bunch of grief because i i kind of misspoke a little bit of saying that no game is truly taking advantage of this hardware that's obviously not 100 percent true but it's mostly true right so we've not even seen those games maybe those games are starting to come out this year where they're made for the series x they're made for the playstation 5 and they truly take advantage of the hardware so we've not even really had enough time with them to all of a sudden go in the next two years yeah go buy a ps5 pro or go buy as i like to call it go buy the xbox series y or t or whatever the hell they're going to call it right doesn't make any sense i would rather just go back to what we used to do your consoles come out in a generation you'll have some iterations of them like slim models things like that but from a power standpoint they're basically consistent until the end of that generation and then we start another generation with more powerful machines and and really when i think about this current one we can do 4k now we can do 60 frames per second we can do some ray tracing on these machines they already have the super fast ssd in them what else do you really need? I get some people, well, I want native 4K and I want 120 frames per second and I want ray tracing on everything. These are consoles. And in my personal opinion, if those are the bells and whistles that you're demanding, go buy a PC. Because that's what I did, right? If, if I want all of that, then I have a PC to do that. I think the Series X and the PlayStation 5 are fine for this generation, me personally. So yeah, I, ca- I caught some 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 strays online for having that opinion but <laughs> i stand by I, I stand by it because these these systems are already cost a lot at 500 dollars, right i would rather see the price come down stick with what we have make a slim model bring the price down to get more people to buy it instead of flooding the market to your point mike of having nine different SKUs mm. of these systems that developers you know ha- now have to make games for just my personal opinion i don't see a need for it this generation i get why they did it last generation yeah I- i'm very content with my xbox series x right now right mm. the only thing i'd like to improve upon memory right we've talked about that let's dial in that proprietary memory card that, yeah, the storage that we've just been sitting with, right? What happened to that? What happened to the dream of lowering that price, giving us better options? For me, that's really my big missing piece. I'm very pleased with the speed and what I'm getting out of my Xbox Series X. But, you know, I also irresponsibly spend money, so I'm sure I would buy one if they put one out there. But as of right now, I'm happy to sit around with myself. I was kind of amazed when I, when I saw the other day that there's these rumors flying around about a PS5 Pro. I'm like, really? Is there something wrong with the PS5? Right. I mean, it's ugly as shit, but other than that, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fine piece of gaming hardware and it does amazing things. And to like when, when, when Paris had thought about like no games really pushed that hardware, I immediately went to Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart as a game that I think does do that. And there have been games that have done that. Now, as someone who's very greedy about, like, I want as much power as possible, I come from PC gaming, so I want as much power as possible. Like, you know, 60 frames a second, PC gamers laugh at that. Like, is there something wrong with your rig? Like, what's going on 60 frames? What the shit? But like when the when the Series X and the PlayStation Five came out, 
I was kind of expecting that we'd get 4K 60 frames across the board. We didn't get that. Like we're still like, why am I, this is supposed to be next gen. Why am I still picking resolution or performance mode? Like I thought we were done with that on the last gen. Apparently not. So there is still room for improvement, but like, it's interesting that it doesn't feel like these systems have been out that long, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe because you still can't find a Series X or a PlayStation 5 on the shelves. Like, I still haven't seen a PlayStation 5 on a store shelf in the wild ever, not even once. No. Series X I've seen a few times. Series S you see plenty of them. Um, so because of the supply issues that we've had, it kind of feels like these machines haven't been out that long, but they've been out almost three years now. This is a mature generation. This is next gen. It's been current gen for a while. To that point, do you really need that mid... When, when we're talking about these generations now last, console generations now last 10 years, right? So the mid-generation refresh, you'd think would still be a couple of years away before we start seriously talking about a PS5 Pro or an Xbox whatever, series, whatever they want to call it. Um, but the one, obviously the one machine that is the exact opposite and that is long overdue is like people are desperate for a more powerful Nintendo console at this mm -hmm. point, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Switch is really still a wonderful machine, it's a Hall of Fame, one of the best game, one of the best consoles ever made. I think we can all agree on that. But it's show, it's really showing its age, and you know there are there are real performance issues, particularly when you're dealing with like bringing over, you know, stuff like Call of Duty. There's going to be compromises. There are going to be issues. So that desperately needs to happen somewhere in Kyoto. There's a you know in a, in a, in a clean room somewhere. There's a switch too sitting yeah. somewhere. There has to be right. There has to be. Otherwise, the 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 owners, the, the people who run Nintendo, are negligent. The next-gen system is sitting there somewhere, just waiting to be revealed uh, in some you know, near-finished state, right? They know what the, some, someone in Kyoto knows what the specs are, and it's all very wonderful, and we're excited about it. But again, the, the one thing that I'm sitting around, like to your point, Mike, when I'm playing Xbox Series X or PlayStation 5, I'm very rarely, okay, apart from that, I would, would like to not have to pick between resolution performance. I'm very rarely thinking, gee, if only this system were a bit more powerful. I am thinking if it were right. a little cheaper and more readily available to people. Right. Um, or if, the, again, if there were more storage, like I've said the SKU that's missing, right? There's two, I think in the Xbox line, there's two SKUs missing. One is uh, a Series X without a disk drive to match the 399 model that the PlayStation 5 has, the diskless version, and a Series S with a terabyte of storage. Those are the two, I feel like there's, those are, when, when they, if they refreshed the lineup along those lines, that would, and that's not about more powerful. It's just about making the system better. But you can make the system better in lots of different ways. That isn't about just you know increasing power. It's better storage, better price point, maybe a better form factor. You know, we always like to see the slim refresh. That's always cool. There's a lot of different ways that they can do the refresh. It doesn't have to be about just adding more horsepower. Because if you ask me, like, what's the what's the biggest problem? The thing that you most want to improve or fix right now with the current generation of consoles? It's not. Oh well, I would add more power because we've got plenty. No one's can really complain about how good these games look or perform, are they? they they're pretty. The, the the top tier games are pretty fucking great. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. I, they all look great to me. I, I'm I'm not fiending, you know, to get any squeeze anything else out of these consoles currently. But you know, even going back to the thing, like you brought up Ratchet and Clank, and that's why I was like, obviously, I misspoke a little bit. We've seen things like Ratchet and Clank. We've seen things like Returnal. But sticking on the Xbox side, how many? Series X slash S only games have we seen this generation? I, I, I'm honestly struggling to try and think of think of one right now. I know the medium, medium was one, yeah. but but they're few far in between. And that's that's kind of my point, keeping the strictly on Xbox that let's get Starfield out. Let's get Redfall out. Let's get Avowed. Let's get Fable Perfect Dark before we start talking about 
we need more power for these machines. We've not even seen these machines in action with the games that they promised us back in 2020. Hellblade 2 is, is another one as well. And I think what you're saying, Gary, is, is spot on. I'd rather see more storage more than anything especially for the series S. storage it, is it really is the bottleneck yeah yeah it's screaming for more storage and an all digital series x would be ideal you know for a lot of people that simply do not care about having a physical disc anymore so i think <clears throat> excuse me from a pricing standpoint there there's an opportunity there to make it cheaper to make it more affordable for people to want to pick it up and speaking of the series x specifically yeah, I have not seen one on a store shelf. It's been out since 2020. I get the shortages and everything. I've not walked into a store and seen a Series X. I have seen a PlayStation 5, but not a Series X. So let's let let's get the one we got now out to more people before we start worrying about changing anything and and uh you know trying to provide more power. I would rather them just wait until the end of this generation, get a bunch of lessons learned from from the current Series X and the S and then make the next generation of them with more power as, as we move along and versus, cause I, I view the mid gen stuff as a half measure. I, I do. I get, it makes more sense on phones. Cause that's the, the argument that I see a lot, but I would rather have a consistent platform for developers to make the games that they want to make so they can squeeze every ounce of power they can out of it versus halfway through a generation, tell them, Oh, Hey, here's more power. Start worrying about that too. Yeah. Mm, it doesn't make sense to me. And you touch on a really important, uh, important point there, Paris. And it's one that I've made several times before. And I, the example I always use is the last of us part two, right? The yeah. last of us part two came out in pretty much the last year of the PlayStation four and the PlayStation yeah. four pro that game could not have come out the first year of the PlayStation pro at, at that level. You know, that's a game that is rightly held up as like, technical state of the art of PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 4 Pro. The reason why it is that good is that it came out at the tail end of the generation, by which point Naughty Dog and other developers had had years of getting familiar with the hardware and learning how to squeeze every, every little shortcut and every little efficiency and every little trick that you can do to get more out of the hardware. Generally speaking, games that come out at the end of the hardware generation look better and are better technically than the ones that come out of the first because you get you takes years for developers to get used to it and understand everything about the hardware and all the little tricks and shortcuts and things you can do to make the game better. And right now we're still at the beginning. Like by the, I guarantee you by the time we get to the end of the PlayStation 5 and the Series X, those games in the last year are going to look ama- they're going to look beyond what we have now. Not because the hardware got any more powerful, the hardware remains static, but the developer's ability to squeeze every last piece of performance out of it, that, that gets better every year. So that's you can't. You could argue that in a weird way the consoles do kind of get more powerful simply because the developers get better exploit. Like they, they get better exploiting every ounce of the power that's available. Really exciting yeah. stuff. I, I want to know what Jason and the team are working on over there. Of course, I'm sure they're whipping up something and they're looking forward to the future, just like all of us. But right now in the present, I'm very pleased with where I'm at. It's right, Paris. Yeah. I'm very pleased with what I got. Guys, I want to talk about a game that's coming out right around the corner, and I want to. I want to ask the question to you. What do you really want and expect out of dead and dormant games that are getting revitalized and reborn again? I look at the Xbox side and I look at you, Fable. I look over at Perfect Dark, right? Because I went hands-on with Dead Island 2, a game that has been long dormant for almost 10 years now. And I got to play up to six hours. I played four hours total, all the missions that they allowed me to play at the beginning of the game to opening up this video game. Uh, I played for about four hours. And I had a good and bad experience, but I was left wondering, 
What do people really expect out of games like this that have been in <clears throat> development hell for so long or have been dormant for almost a decade and are coming back out? Do you have high expectations? Do you have low? Because when I played Dead Island 2, I was taken back to a simpler time, 2011 and 2013, the Xbox 360 era, when Dead Island came out and kind of ruled the world of this open-world zombie game. And now we've iterated on that. We've made better titles. We've made improvements. And on the Dead Island side, there was definitely some improvements in Dead Island 2. And then there was others where it felt very samey. It felt like it didn't want to iterate and evolve. And that's where I was left questioning, am I the one with higher expectations that's maybe in the wrong here? Or should I be looking for games that are coming out 10 years from now to be better when doing that stuff? And so I want to highlight some of the goods from Dead Island 2. Of course, going down to L.A., I really loved that, right? We're coming hot off of Dying Light 2 that had a kind of a drab Eastern Europe vibe, right, Gary? But L.A., a.k.a. L.A., has a really nice look, right? It's bright, it's vibrant, it's a place that you know and love. And I think the team really took a lot of effort in beautifying the space, right? Elevating the game on a world and level design. Instead of doing one sprawling open world, they've broken it down into smaller open areas that you're going to go through with fast travel points to each one. But inside of that, there's a lot more detail in the zones that you'll see, right? Each room is explorable and it has nooks and crannies that are all detailed with movie posters that I saw up in Beverly Hills to cool little, you know, nods to other things that I really enjoyed, right? I loved the detail of the world that they put in. And I liked what I saw from the animation sides. Of course, the zombies, sure, I fought the same zombie with the same t-shirt a thousand times, but they elevated, of course, beating down a zombie from the bones breaking to flesh ripping off, and it looked cool. It looked like the next iteration of that. But when it came to the gameplay side, it felt stuck in 2011. Mm. It was slow. There wasn't the traversal of the <clears throat> movement that we've iterated and evolved on in this kind of genre. The combat still felt weighty and slow to me of swinging back and forth with very basic melee weapons, right? And I was left wondering... Am I the one that's in the wrong expecting maybe the elevation, especially on the gameplay side, to be there? Or is this what people want from a game that's returning 10 years later? And so I have to ask you guys, after you know talking about this more in depth over on Kind of Funny Games Daily, you can find that on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games Daily, the title and the thumbnail up there if you want to hear more of my in-depth thoughts. But I want to talk with you guys because on the Xbox side of things, Fable is on the way. Perfect Dark is on the way. I've mm -hmm. talked about Perfect Dark and what I want to see and how they need to elevate that in this current space, right? But like in a game like this, what are you expecting out of these titles? So, Gary, school me. What what do you expect from titles coming back like this? Well, in the case of Dead Island, I think Dead Island, Dead Island 2 is a very specific case. And, and since we were talking about performance earlier, I don't know what was going on in that video. I hope it's a problem with the video, but that was choppy as shit. I don't know what was going on with that frame rate, but that <laughs> did will not tell look you, great. Game ran well. Okay. Game ran something, well something was going on with that video. Yeah, so the Stuttering game, game and there did was weirdness, well. and I, I didn't love it. Um, in the case of Dead Island 2, I think there's just a problem where the development obviously went on for, I don't know exactly what the problems were behind the scenes, but it took way too long. There was a point where Dead Island was, everybody was excited about Dead Island, like back in the day. Dead Island 2, for whatever reason, took so long to make and has and had so many delays that by the time it's now coming out, whether regardless of how look it, how cool it looks, and it does again, I'm still seeing a choppy frame rate, but like the, it looks good. That looks like LA. That's cool. The graphics are good. The problem is the whole vibe, the whole zeitgeist of like let's the zombie apocalypse <laughs> and let's fight zombies. 
are we over that? Like, isn't it a time to give that a rest? How many more fucking zombie games are we going to get? Like, we've been doing this for years. What The Walking Dead game that I worked on was 11 years ago. Dead Rising, all these games, like, that's, that's I, I don't know. I feel like at some point you've got to give the genre a rest and, like, let it sit and rest for a while so that people start to think, it's been a while since we had a decent zombie game. Oh, what about if they brought back Dead Island? Dead Island 2, to me, is coming out at exactly the wrong time. Um, where like we've all got a little bit of zombie fatigue, like en enough already. We've you know you can put different spins on it. Redfall has a different way of doing it. You know the Last of Us games obviously had a different way of approaching the zombie apocalypse. You know because they weren't technically zombie. There's different ways to do it, but like just straight up old fashioned lumbering you know Dawn of the Dead type zombies, and you're bashing the shit out of them. It just feels like so played out at this point. Like it just doesn't interest me at all. That's a particular problem with Dead, like Dead Island too. In terms of how do, you, how do you successfully bring back, um, you know, something that has not been around for a long time? Like, you know, my big one is Fable. I'm excited to see new Fable. I can tell you what I want out of Fable. I want a game that feels like it honors the originals and, and has, I feel like I can play, I know what a Fable game plays like, right? Because I played a bunch of them back in the day. And I want it, I just, you want it to, ha to capture those essentials, that feel, that vibes. Oh, yeah, I'm, Fable is back, right? That's, that's, what, that's what you want. But at the same time, you want it to move forward technically. You don't want it to be just the same tired old game. Like, the gameplay has to evolve, right? Because, you know, game design concepts and what we expect from a game has evolved a lot from the, from the days of the first Xbox when the first Fable game came <clears> out. <throat> so it's always a balance. I have this in my day job. I'm you know, trying to bring back you know, movies that, you know, movie franchises that haven't been around for decades. You have to find a way to kind of honor the original. Top Gun Maverick did this brilliantly, right? Honored the original, felt like yes. a true sequel, even though it was like decades later, but it also felt fresh and new. And even if you never heard of Top Gun, it was still a cool movie. Mm. So you've got to find a way to kind of honor the past, but also feel like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a modern thing that belongs in this day and age. And that's not an easy balancing act. You know, for every Top Gun Maverick, there's a bunch of others that get it wrong, both in film and in video games. And you see it all over. So it's tough to do. I understand where the question is coming from. Dead Island 2 just has its own issues where at the time they decided to make Dead Island 2, I'm sure it seemed like a good idea. I don't think it is anymore because they took too long. Um, and they, I think they, they missed their window when zombie games were cool. Maybe it can stand out on its own merits, but I feel like Dead Island 2 is, is releasing into an environment where people are like, really, another one of these? That's how I feel. Interesting. I, I, I like what you brought up there, uh, Gary, where you want it to feel like, oh, this is what I remember, right? And maybe that's where I'm missing it. Is, right. It does feel like I remember. It does feel like And that can be hard to define as well. Like, you don't always right. know what that is. Like when something just feels right and you mm -hmm. can't necessarily, ex you, as, a, as a gamer, like, you, like, I don't know what it is, but yeah, this feels like Fable. But the people that made it that way, they have to know. They have to under, they have to under, when I, again, when I worked on Rogue One, we wanted it to feel like a Star Wars movie, even though it had a different vibe to it. And part of what we did was we went back and studied the original Star Wars and thought about like, it's almost like, it's almost like you have to, like, if you want to build like a high performance car and you've got one in front of you, you, you have to, you strip it, you strip it down and you reverse engineer it and you figure out like, what was it, what is it about the, the way that this is engineered that makes it so cool so that we can build, build another one. So some of the work we did on Rogue One was just looking at like what are the what are the elements of Star Wars that make it feel like even though you don't necessarily complete your finger like this just feels like Star Wars to me like what what are those indefinable elements that we had to define right while at the same time making it feel like it was a Star Wars movie for a, for a new generation so I've sure I've plenty of sleepless nights thinking about exactly this problem <laughs> and it's a, it's the same issue they have when they bring back Fable or Perfect Dark or any of the 
classic game franchises that you were just talking about. Yeah. Pear, school me. What do you think about this? So, so it's interesting while, while Gary was talking, I think you're very spot on with every, everything you were saying. We've actually seen a recent game that, that did a fantastic job with this from having an extended absence, almost like a 20 year absence before, before we got a new iteration of it. Psychonauts 2. I think Double Fine wow. did, did yeah, a fantastic good, good job. And, and the reason it sticks in my mind is because leading up to Psychonauts 2 coming out, I was playing the original. And then to go from that and jump right into the sequel, you could, you could see the, all the improvements that they made from a platforming standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, and you know, for a modern audience. So it felt completely fine and playable for a new audience with, with that sequel, but it kept the nostalgia bits, obviously, uh, from the original Psychonauts. So to me, that's a great example of how to do it the right way. Yeah, I, I think even though this was a remake, this is another example that we just saw recently would be Dead Space, the Dead Space remake. I think you took a game that came out, what was that, 08 or something, brought it out here in 2023, and it feels like a modern game. You don't feel like you're going backwards to play an older game. Because I can think of another example where even though they made some improvements to it, it still felt dated to me was the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, where I felt like I was playing an RPG from the 2000s versus playing something right now. Obviously, it would have, it would have taken a complete overhaul to change that. But I think that leans more towards what you're talking about, Mike, with your experience with Dead Island 2 versus something that we want to see from a perfect dark. We want to see from a fable where you're bringing back these franchises after, you know, 15, 20 plus years where I don't want it to feel like I'm playing a game that's 15, 20 years old. I want it to feel like a game that I'm playing right now in 2023. So I think that is the challenge that we'll, we'll see uh, for playground games and the initiative to be able to pull, pull that off. I can tell you another one right now. And I, I always say it as a joke, but then I'm half serious at the same time. It's Banjo-Kazooie. It's inevitable. It will come back at some point. That's going to be the trick that they're going to have to pull off because I have gone back and played the original Banjo-Kazooie. It's very dated trying to play it right now, you know, from the, you know, from the 360 version that, that came out. So that's going to be something they're going to have to nail when it eventually does come back, that it needs to feel like a modern platformer, you know, the storytelling, et cetera, all needs to feel like a game that you want to play right now and not something that, you know, came out in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, guys, that's what I battled with after I left the first impressions and we talked about it on KFJD, KFGD. I was wondering, well, what am I expecting out of these, right? What should I be talking about? What should I be looking for? And it just did feel dated when I played it, right? The mm -hmm. looks were elevated, right? The wacky and wild characters weren't quite perfect. You're going to roll your eyes a lot. But when it came down to the gameplay and the ideas, it just wasn't what I expected in 2023, mm -hmm. right? right? When you meet the right. first influencer and she's like, hey, I need you to do this w crazy wacky thing on live stream, burn the zombies alive alive and all there is is just three fire pits around you and you just push them in there it's like oh we could have thought of more fun ways to do this hey push them off the side of the building okay just push them off the side of the roof like i was looking for more wild and wacky fun things to do on the gameplay side and it just felt dated you know it felt like dead rising was doing this stuff better years ago right yeah, like, right, yeah. And wacky ways to kill zombies how come we never got back with the psychopaths from dead rising right like those guys were so wild so unique and different why isn't why aren't these new zombie games doing as much as I think we're, the zombies are all played out? I actually think we'd be not not to beat up on Dead Island two too much. I think we'd be more excited if Dead Rising were coming back. It is very interesting, but guys, we have a whole lot of fun because there's a bunch of new titles 
coming our way next week. GDC is here in sunny San Francisco, and us at the X-Cast are going to sit down with the one, the only Chris Charla oh. in studio to know about all the indie games you need to know about coming soon to your Xbox console. So that will be a ton of fun. You can look forward to all of the GDC coverage here at Kind of Funny, especially on Monday. We're going to have a big GDC party. Multiple developers will come and showcase their games for seven whole hours. There's going to be a lot of drinks, a lot of games, and a whole lot of fun, and a whole lot of future titles you're going to want to know about. So don't miss next week's episode. Chris Charla is in the building with all of us to talk about the big indies you need to know about. I'm excited to have... I saw uh, Chris in uh, Vegas for Dice just recently. He went to one of his roundtables. It was really interesting. I'll tell you this about Chris Charla. I've known Chris Charla for almost 30 years, and you would have to look a very, very long way for a very long time to find someone who loves games and knows about video games more than he does. Awesome. He's one of the true, he's, he's, he's an OG. OG? All right. Well, we're going to have the OGs with my OGs right here. Gary Witta and Paris Lilly back on the show next week. With that, gamers, thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast. We'll be back with more. Until then, take care of yourselves. Peace.